Um, so talk about, for me, um, with me, about mothers and what stereotypically you think of that mothers do, um, you know, when they're helping us out and things like that. So give me some thoughts. Not everybody at once, because that's awkward. Taxi driver. Taxi driver, yep. What's that? They cook, yep, that's good. They do. They're known to give birth. They are. They definitely are. What was that, Jim? Nurturing. nurturing. They're very nurturing. Yep, absolutely. They're the dish fairy. I like that. That's a new one, Aaron. I like that. Yeah, they just magically get done, right? That's awesome. Um, they, uh, last night we had someone say that they're the wound mender. That's actually hard to say, but it's what they said. And so, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, cooking, baking, all those things. Being helpful, nurturing, caring. You know, these are all kind of like the typical things that you might think of when it comes to mothering and motherhood. And that's really great. And I think we should, I, we always like to honor some moms for some odd, you know, reasons on uh, this day as we do with fathers. So, uh, once again, we'll go ahead and see if there's anyone in the room that I can give an award to, um, such as uh, this one be for the mom that's got the least amount of sleep most recently. So is anybody, any moms in the room got less than five hours of sleep recently? I know, she's got to be here though. Anybody? Less than six? Over where? Yeah? Is that, yeah? All right, Kim. Well, guess what? You're the winner. I'm going to give you a can of Red Bull so that you can stay awake, all right? So uh, let's hear it for Kim. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. All right, uh, let's see. The next one is for the mom with the most kids in the room. Um, or not in the room, but the mom in the room with the most kids. How about that? So uh, any, any moms in the room have uh, five? Where are you at? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, anybody with six? No? All right, Aaron. Guess what? I'm going to go ahead and give you a flyer to our child care center so that you can uh, get those all in a row. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to stretch. Yeah, let's hear it for Aaron. Um, we'll stretch it out to, to teenagers for a day or two for them, right? Um, it's awesome. All right, last one, and we, we may have double winners here, but um, a mom who is going to be sending their their child off to college for the first time in the fall. Any mom doing that? All right, I think we've got April. All right, April, you're going to need a couple extra bucks because the tuition coming out of your pocket, so here's a couple bucks to Target, all right? Yeah, there you go. Let's hear it for April. So, like Sarah said, this is the first Mother's Day. Without my mom, she passed away in January. And if you knew my mom... She was here a lot because she would basically, when I showed up, she showed up, and she'd be here for all the services. She loved it here. She absolutely loved it here. Um, many of you knew her, and basically she, uh, she just took in everything. She loved Josh. She loved the music. She loved um, just all of you. She loved being able to see Micah and Jeremiah up here singing and playing and all that, and it was awesome. But here's the thing. I got to break it to you now that I'm sorry, Josh and Micah, Jeremiah, I'm, I'm sorry to all of you because y'all pale in comparison to this guy right here. <laughs> Definitely, the one thing that you would know about my mom is that if you talk to her for literally 10 seconds in this building, she would say, did you know that I'm Joe's mom? 
And um, the funny story that I always say is that um, Doug Carble would always like help her every week and she'd get around here and he'd, he- he'd help her and every week for months on end, she would say to him, thanks for helping. Did you know that I'm, that I'm Joe's mom? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. You tell me every week for the past 10 months, but she just would forget. She would forget. Now, one of the things that my mom did that, uh, that I appreciated, but it probably wasn't super healthy, was the fact that she would defend me no matter what. Like, she would defend me to the end. I don't know if you grew up with a mom like that, or if you were actually the opposite, where you were guilty and pro- until proven innocent. Um, but for me, my mom always defended me. And, and it was great because, you know, my brother would get into trouble a lot. Or if I would do something, you know, I would be able to be like, maybe get away with it. Because, of course, my mom would think, you know, Joe would never do something like that. But the reality is that I did. Um, and the, the reality is that my mom just did that. And she just did that out of, with a good intention. It probably wasn't super great for me. But it was a good intention. Her heart was in the right place because she was just defending her son. And, you know, you think about that for a second. You think about the idea of a mama bear. I don't know if you've ever run into a mama bear before. But what I'm talking about is when you run into a mom who basically thinks that their child does no wrong. And that even if there's an altercation, there's absolutely no way that there's any guilt on their kid's part, right? It's always everybody else's kid. Not that any mom in the room has ever done that, and not that any of you have ever experienced that, but maybe, just maybe you have. Um, I think that that's another attribute of motherhood that sometimes rises to the surface. Now, I realize that all of our experiences are the same, but man, that does seem, I mean, we've either run into it or we're guilty of it ourselves, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's really interesting because when I think about the day that I ran over Billy Ruff and uh, what happened with that, um, so back when I was in elementary school, I lived in an apartment complex and we would get together. Now, this is before like Fortnite and like, you know, all that fun phones and stuff. And we got together and we, would, we made a route, a racetrack, basically a route for a race around the apartment buildings. And they were pretty far down and pretty far over, probably like maybe a quarter mile total. And so we would all have our bikes and we'd soup them up and then we would go, you know, like think the kids from Stranger Things. That's literally like when I grew up, right? So we would, we would go and, and here's, we would race one at a time though. And we would time each other and we would time each other by counting out loud. Because there was no other way, really, no one had a stopwatch. So it was like one, 1,000, two, 1,000. And then you're like, did you count like just the same speed as the last guy? So I remember the, the way that it worked is you went all the way around the apartment complex and then you kind of came through the finish line. Now the finish line was between a set of concrete stairs and a lamppost that was about six feet tall. And there was about just enough for maybe two people's width between the stairs and the lamppost. And that's where you launched yourself through. And there was like, Sean, there was like a little lip right before the concrete, bro. So you like got a little air going through the finish line. It was awesome. So it was my turn to go. And I'm like racing. And they're like, start counting one, 1,000. And then there's this like moment when you're going around and you can't hear them anymore, and they can't see you anymore. So you're just racing as fast as you can to try to get the fastest time. I come around the corner of the building, and I get the finish line in sight, and I realize that Billy Ruff has stood right in between the stairs and the lamppost. And I'm like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen? So I just, I'm like, he's obviously playing chicken. This is no big deal. 
Like, that's the finish line. He knows this. It's a con- like, we have all agreed this is what's going down. Normal people would have been like, just go around the lamppost. I'm like, no, he's going to move. And I just start speeding up. And he's just like, ah, and I just run him over. I just ran him over. I mean, until the very last second, I thought he was going to move, and he just took it. He just took the whole bike and everything, man, and he got mangled. He was bawling his eyes out. He was a couple years younger than me, so it looked really bad. Like, I mean, I was like maybe 14 or 12, and he was 10. Or what? It, was just, it was brutal. So anyway, he's bawling his eyes out. He's like limping and all this other stuff, bleeding. And he goes back to his, he kind of like gets up into his third floor apartment where he was, and he tells his mom what I did. And man, I got called up to that apartment. Oh my gosh. Well, luckily, my mom was there, and so she said she wasn't there. So I got to go and meet Mama Bear face to face, and boy, did she let me have it, man. I mean, I felt like the biggest idiot ever. I'm just like, just so you know, he stood on the finish line, though, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it didn't matter to her. Mama Bear came out, and she just was like, you're older than him. How could you do this? I mean, look at him. He's bleeding, ah, you know, and all that stuff. And, man, it was the worst. And I didn't have my mom there to defend me. And she probably shouldn't have because, I mean, obviously I hurt him, and that was bad. What's that? Um, I don't remember, but I think it all kind of, like, went by the wayside when, like, there was paramedics and stuff. But, no, there wasn't. There wasn't. Um, But I think that today what I want us to do is to think about this idea of what happens when we're defended, when we're not defended, and how really moms kind of show us a little bit bit of into like what God is like. So um, if you need a Bible, I'd love for you to raise your hand. Donna's going to help you get one. Um, We're going to be in one book today. It's going to be in 1 John chapter 1 and 2. Jim will help too. Just raise your hand. I absolutely love it when you read scripture yourself and not just rely on the screen. So um, raise your hand real quick if you'd like a Bible, and I'm going to pray um, while we get those handed out. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for moms, and we thank you, Lord, for, for your word. Lord, we ask that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name we pray. So 1 John chapter 1 kind of like dives into a situation where we can start to see what God is like. Um, 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to not have run over Billy Ruff, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, I think with this, um, just this one verse alone, there's a lot to unpack here. If we claim, oh, great, um, great, you, you've got a lot to say about your righteousness, don't you? Yeah, great. Well, everything you say, everything that comes out of your mouth is suspect because you're kind of jaded. And I think that we all, in down deep, we kind of know that. We kind of know that when we claim something, uh, we may, maybe need to double check that. But we only do this. We only deceive ourselves. What does that say to you? What it says to me is that we don't deceive anybody else. We might be able to say and convince ourselves that, that we're okay and that we don't have any problems and that we're perfect, but really what everybody else is saying is like, man, he totally ran over Billy Ruff. 
We only deceive ourselves. No one else is deceived. And the truth is not in us. Um, interesting um, that, that there is um, this element of the truth not being in us. And so I think it's a really good verse to help us understand that this is one picture of how we can roll. We can go with not claiming, uh, claiming to be without sin and not to have any problems or doing wrong. But let's keep going to verse 9. It says this, But if we confess our sins, see there's two ifs, there's if we claim to be without, then we're kind of a mess. But if we confess our sins and we say, okay, we have wrong, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all all unrighteousness. And this is like the good news, right? This is what we're all here for today. This is why we're going to sing at the top of our lungs in just a few minutes. This is why we want to study. We want to learn. This is the wonder of God that we're talking about in this season. That there is so much about God that we don't understand, we don't know. And this is one of those things. That somehow, some way, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And when you think about that, the whole first chapter of 1 John is all, John is talking a lot about um, light and following after what God has for you and living in that light. And there's a lot of imagery with that. And we would all want to be in the light versus in darkness, right? And it just is, it's, it's better. We can see, we have clarity. All these things come into focus for us. And so this is kind of like leapfrogging off of that from earlier in the chapter. But I want us to continue to go on. One thing about this too is that when we confess our sins is that we're also owning some things. We're taking responsibility and we're being accountable for what we did. So on the one hand, if we claim to have no sin, that's kind of like pushing everything aside and all that. And this is, this is a whole nother picture of really owning our garbage. But let's keep going in chapter 2 in verse 1. It says this, my dear children, and John was older at this time. He had led many, many people to the Lord, and many of those would be younger than him. And so he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And all the legalistic people in the room are like, there it is. We're not supposed to sin. That's what I'm talking about. There's all kinds of rules. Let's go. My dear children, I am writing this so that you will not sin. And then all those that are like super rule followers get the gut check when he says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. Everyone say advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have an advocate. This is huge, all right? And it continues on to say in verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole entire world. So there's a few things that kind of unpack here. You see that, that John's aim, his goal, his aim, back up one slide, Matt. If you, his aim, when he says this, he says, My dear, I write this that you will not sin. His goal and his aim is that we would not sin. That is it. That is what he's hoping for. That is his prayer. But he realizes the tension is that that is not the truth. That is not reality. But if anybody does sin and he makes room for grace, that we have an advocate. We have hope. We have something. Now, when we choose to live 
in lawlessness, which is what sin is, when we choose to live our own way, when we choose to do whatever we want and to choose the things that we want the way that we want, that's what John is saying. If anyone does, we have an advocate. And there's a few things that come to mind, five in particular, that come to mind when we think about sin and doing wrong and how it affects us. And I want us to kind of live in that for a second because I think it kind of helps us relate to the real world in our heart. Number one, doing wrong minimizes what Jesus did. The way to think about this and the, what's behind this statement is that, you know, Jesus died on the cross. He, he gave his life for ours. He paid the debt we couldn't pay. It's completely, un, we're unworthy. We don't deserve it, but it's, and it's unfair, but it's unfair in our favor, and Jesus did that. However, you know what I need to do right now is that was 2,000 years ago. I'm really tempted over here. I'm really distracted over here. I'm going to go ahead and do this thing. And it kind of brushes off what Jesus did. And kind of says, you know what, it doesn't really matter right now because this is too good to be true. So it kind of minimizes what Jesus did. The second thing is that doing wrong confuses our identity. When we have given our heart to Christ and we have chosen, as we say around here, to put Jesus first, that puts us in second place. When we put Jesus first, what ends up happening is when we do wrong, we start to question, we start to ask ourselves and become confused around, what is our identity? Am I really capable of this? I mean, and we start to allow the things that we've done that aren't honoring to God to define us. So now you become known even in your own mind, but also maybe in school or in your community as the person that did this or did that. And what you did begins to define you. And it confuses your reality because you, and your identity because your identity is not something that you did. Did you catch that? Your identity is not anything that you've done. Your identity comes from who God is in your life. But that leads to the next thing, number three, which is that doing wrong plants doubt in our minds. So now when we're confused about our identity, now we start to doubt who we are and we start to doubt who God is. And we start to say, you know what? I mean, maybe, maybe this isn't too good to be true. Does God really love me that much that he would, he would forgive me for what I've done? Does God, is God really that way? Am I really a part of God's family? Am I really on track? Am I really going to be able to be with him when my life is over? And all of these doubts become very, very real. The next one is that doing wrong erodes our hope and our wonder. This is probably the most insidious one because it really starts to take the things that we, it does it kind of like over time and slowly. That over time as we, we begin to maybe like be confused about our identity and doubt who God is and who we are, we start to lose the hope that we have in Jesus. We lose the hope that we have in being a part of God's family. We lose the hope of our future because of it. And we lose the wonder. We lose the amazing awesomeness of who God is and how awesome God is and the fact that there is so much more of God for us to dig into and to learn about and yet we don't have that wonder anymore. We ratchet back into some sort of daily grind of a nine to five and we don't have any room for God in our life anymore. Doing wrong, the last one, is probably the most hopeful here is that it's overcome through Jesus the Word. 
Doing wrong is overcome through Jesus, the Word. Well, how do you know, Joe? Did you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 1? It said that if any of you do wrong, if any of you sin, if any of you choose lawlessness, that there is an advocate. Woo. There is, in that phraseology, that, that word there, is there is a defender. There is a defense attorney that is standing in your corner who is standing up for you and saying, you know what, these charges don't apply. This case is, is completely going to be thrown out of court because I am defending this person and this person is with me. But here's the thing. You rarely see this in the court of law because what it goes on to say is that Jesus is our advocate and he is the atoning sacrifice for the sins that we have and of all the world. So here's what he's doing. Just, just take a, everybody take a deep breath because I'm about to, this is it right here. This is it, ready? Jesus is defending you with what he has done. So you have Jesus as our defender. This is, this is what he's doing. He is, he is defending you as an attorney. Jesus, his sacrifice removes the wrath of God in your life and over your life. That sacrifice, on the one hand, he's our defender. On the other hand, he is our sacrifice. And that sacrifice removes the wrath of God over our life. Before Jesus, we were under wrath. After Jesus, no wrath. Before Jesus, we were condemned. After Jesus, we're not condemned. And very rare, you never see this in the court of law, where the defense attorney stands up and says, you know what, Your Honor, here's what I'm going to tell you. This person, the defendant, they are completely innocent. And the judge says, why? Let me tell you why. Because I paid the price for that criminal. You don't see that. Attorneys want to get paid, you know what I'm saying? They don't do that. They don't, they don't say, you know what, I am defending the defendant with what I did in order to make them innocent. This should blow our minds. This should spark wonder in our minds to say, how in the world? And then we go one step further. Because not only does Jesus stand and defend you, but then he says, I'm going to defend you with what I did, but the judge sent him to do it. The judge sent the, def the defense attorney to pay the price for the criminal to have a court of law to basically say the defendant's, the, 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 the attorney, the, the, the um, advocate says, you know what, doesn't apply. Now, I think that there's a moment when all that happens. And here's what I'm going to say. Let, let, me, don't, let me get my head ahead of myself, all right? Everybody say, slow down, Joe. Slow down. All right. So here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I love you. Somewhere in the middle. I'm seeing if you fall asleep with that long pause, Lee. Sometimes moms are a lot like God. And God is a lot like moms. It's like Jesus is like moms, right? 
because he defends us. Jesus is like moms. God is like moms. If you're a student in the room, you should be saying, stop, Joe, you're wrong. So, Emma, you should say, stop, Joe, you're wrong. Exactly. And here's why. If God is like moms, let me say something to you, mom. And I, I love you all. Happy Mother's Day. But you're broken. You're broken. There's not enough that you could do for your family, for your spouse. There's not enough that you could do that would allow you to feel that you've accomplished. There's so much pressure. There's so much that we've put on you, culture puts on you, but I want you to know you're broken and it's okay. There's never going to be enough sweeping of the house. You're never going to work enough jobs to get that affirmation that you're looking for. There's never, and for us as kids, you know what? Your mom was broken. Let me give you some news. Your mom was broken. You've got some gaps in your life and it's okay. Your mom wasn't perfect. Your mom isn't perfect. But moms... And kids, guess what? You have a defender. You have an advocate. You have someone who is standing before you saying, you know what? All those people that have laid all those expectations on you, you know what? Let me tell you. Don't listen to them. Listen to what I'm saying about who you are. Let me tell you that there's more to your life than the amount of crumbs in your house that are on the floor. There's more to your life than how many ways that you can provide for the kids. There's more to your life than how many jobs and hours and things that you can work. Let me tell you that your life is mine and you are designed to glorify me. And when you do that and you put that as first in your life, believe me, the other voices will die down. This is the wonder, right? This is what should be like, man, what does this mean when I'm able to say that I am defended? And maybe some of us today, we didn't grow up with our moms defending us. We didn't grow up that way. We, we really are the first one to be guilty until proven innocent. But let me just tell you that there's a defender for that. There's a, the, the only place to find wholeness and healing is in Jesus, You're not going to find it in your mom. You're not going to find it in your dad. You're not going to find it in your family. The only place that you will find all the gaps to be filled is when you take your life and surrender it to God and to ask Jesus to say, Lord, help me deal with my past and all the gaps that there were, but let me move forward in a way that is honoring of you and glorifies your name. My mom was broken. She left a lot of gaps in my life. There are a lot of things that I wish were different about her. But you know what? Um, As I've kind of worked through emotions and stuff, um, I was like, man, um, I always used to go, like this is the first year that I'm not going to do this. Like I always go get a bunch of Fannie Mae mint meltaways. And I would like get those for her on Mother's Day. But then I would sit in her apartment and I would eat them all like with her, you know. And it was awesome. So I've got mint meltaways on the table back there. You guys can have one on your way out. And you don't have to be a mom because I've already had like two or three. So you can have those on your way out, plenty to go around. But what is that? That's just a way for me to say mom was broken, but there was a lot of memory, a lot of honoring that I can still do for her. There's so many things. I mean, I could also have like a week-old cup of um, McDonald's coffee back there that she never threw away a cup of coffee from McDonald's. Like, literally, she would have them on her counter. I'm like, Mom, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen, but okay. And she would heat it up in the microwave every morning. I'm like, all right, whatever. 
She was a connoisseur, all right? <laughs> You're just thankful I didn't have a bunch of old coffee back there, right? Just the fresh stuff at Historia. So let me just ask you a few questions as you're wrestling with this in this amazing, unbelievable situation that you find yourself in today, or at least I hope you do. A couple of questions, and I'm going to go ahead and have the band come up right now. And this is where we'll be interactive. If Jesus is your defender, what does that make you? Defended? Free? Innocent. I always like to do this with this one because this is a boomerang from a couple weeks ago, right? So if Jesus is this, then this makes me this. So if Jesus is our defender, then that means that I'm not the defender. So that means that this desire to always defend yourself, you can kind of put that to the side for a second. Because there's always going to be somebody that's going to say something there's always going to be, um, you're always going to fall short in your ability to defend yourself and always feel like you have to. But man, when you put your guard down and say, you know what, I'm already defended. I'm doing the best that I possibly can with God's help. I am going for broke with Jesus. If Jesus is your defender, what does that make you? Another question. If you are defended, what does that mean to you? I guess there's a couple of things that come to mind. Feel free to shout anything out. It, yeah, you might be a victim of circumstances. That's true. Absolutely. If you are defended, what does that mean to you? I mean, personalize that. You're protected. You don't have to worry about it. There's two sides to this that I came to. Number one, kind of like in that zone is, I can rest. I can rest. But the second thing is this, and I don't want to leave this on the table without addressing it. If I am defended, that means that someone is accusing me. Who might that be? Could be the enemy. Could be Satan. Because I don't want to leave it on the table too long to say, you know what, the wrath of God has been removed. You know, you're in the courtroom and the judge was going to sentence you and all that. That was a moment. That verdict has been read. But there is an accuser that continually comes against you all the time with voices, with ideas, with things to take you off the track and to be able to say to that accuser, to say, I am defended. And sometimes all of those voices are in here. They're in here. And so you're defended against what you're saying to yourself, which is not of God. I'll, re I'll remind you of a conversation I had with, with a brother, and he was sitting across from me, and he was crying, and he was saying, I just don't think that God is pleased with me. I don't think that God, I've given my heart to God, but I feel like I'm not worthy. I feel like this. I feel like the, everything, I'm condemned and all stuff. And I looked at him with his tears in his eyes, and I said, stop it. I said, God doesn't talk like that. That is not God's voice. When we come under the defense of Jesus, we begin to hear the things through the, the ears of God and through the, the, the lens of Jesus and to say, that is not a voice that I need to listen to. Somebody's going to get free of that today. Number three, if you are defended, how does that change things? 
How does that change things this week? Well, maybe you're going to get less defensive yourself. Maybe you're going to be able to rest a little bit more. Maybe you're going to be a little bit more aware. Maybe you're going to confess some things. Maybe you're going to stop claiming to be perfect. Maybe you're going to be able to find a way to allow the defender to defend you with what he's done. And then the last question is this. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with the level of wonder that you have when it comes to Jesus defending you with what he's done and that Jesus was sent by the judge to do it? Why don't we stand? Heavenly Father, I pray right now, God, that as we go to music and we begin to worship you, Lord, I pray that these songs would become more than just songs, that these lyrics would be more than just words on a slide, but Lord, that they would truly be our prayer to you. Jesus, what a Savior, Lord God. I mean, when we think about you defending us by becoming our sacrifice, Lord, all we can say is what a Savior. You have shown us a beautiful way. And Lord, we want to follow after you because it's not what this world teaches. It's not what this world disciples. But Lord, we want to follow after you because it is a beautiful way that you have shown us. And Lord, we want to see your glory. We want to see your glory because of that. And Lord, we want to know, and we want to trust, and we want to believe, and we want to sing it out today that every single one of us is going to overcome because of the sacrifice that you gave. Heavenly Father, as we go to song, help us to make this our prayer. So this is a, a holy moment. I want us to not rush too quickly because... Um, some of, some of us want to move from claiming to confessing. And what that means is, is that you're going to now stop trying to claim that you've got it all together, but you're going to confess that you need the, de the defender, right? And so imagine that this is a court of law, and Micah is here, and he's, he's being tried, right? He's being tried. And he's, just say the word claim, just say claim. So he's claiming, he's claiming to be like, you know, he's got it all together, and the whole time, he's trying to defend himself. He's like, yeah, but God, yeah, but God, yeah, but God. But you know what? The yeah, buts don't work. And so the whole time, Jesus is just waiting here. Now, I'm not Jesus, but just imagine, right? So, like, he's just waiting here. And all Micah needs to do to enact that is just say, confess, say, confess. And he just confesses, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, and he defends him. And he says, you know what? Everything's thrown out. And for some of us today, this is the holy moment when you've said, you know what, I'm done, man. Like, God's been talking to me since the beginning of this day, and I just know that i got to be done. i got to move from claiming to confessing. Everybody bow your head and just pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in this room right now. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. We know that you're calling people, Lord God, that you're calling us out of what we're in. And so, Lord, we just, uh, we just pray, God, right now for confidence to do that. If you're just saying, you know what, I want to move from claiming to confessing, I want to just be able to say, God, I need that defender. Just raise your hand real quick. No one's looking around. Just really, I see your hands all over the place. Heavenly Father, you see these hands. 
And Lord God, you know that they're just crying out to you, saying like, I'm done. I'm done working. I'm done trying. I'm done trying to defend myself before you. And all I can do is throw myself at your mercy because of what Jesus did. And so, Lord, I come before you confidently together with my brothers and sisters. And we say, Lord, that we want to see you do a new thing in this place. We want to see you do more and more and more. And Holy Spirit, we want you to continue to pour into us and to guide us and direct us and call us forward into the wonder that we don't even know what it is. But Lord, we know that it's good because it's you. So Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We thank you for the lives that were changed, that stepped over a line and invited you in to be their defender today. And Lord God, we thank you, Jesus, for being that for us. Lord, we pray that this would all inspire us, motivate us to be light in dark places this week. And we give you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great, great Mother's Day.